In this episode of the PITCOM podcast, we speak to Dr. Jeffrey Dick about advances in nanoelectrochemistry. So I grew up in Muncie, Indiana, and I went to Ball State University and got a degree in chemistry. I fell in love with research and education, Ball State's teaching college in, in Indiana. And um, <clears throat> let's see, I started doing research as a sophomore, just fell in love with it. I went to Purdue University my first year of undergrad, decided I didn't want to be an engineer and moved back home. And so I started getting involved with research and doing electrochemistry, and that led me to Al Bard's lab at UT Austin, and I started my independent career at UNC Chapel Hill in 2018, and moved my entire group, nine PhD students and a couple postdocs, to uh, Purdue University in 2022. And then what attracted me to the field is just trying to be the first person in human history to make a discovery. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? Right. <laughs> and, um, Going a bit more onto your actual work, what is the definition of small volumes in chemistry? I think that that's very ill-defined uh, so far. And so the, the ocean is a zettiliter, it's 10 to the 21 liters, it's, it's a lot of water. Um, but if you think about a lysosome in a cell, it's on the order of an attoliter to a zeptoliter. So it's 40 orders of magnitude different in, in, in volume. And so I think that um, What's really important is just to define the dimensions of the volume, but when I say very tiny volumes, things that can fit inside a cell usually are certainly in that, in that category. Yeah, and what are the current limitations when studying the chemistry of, of these really small volumes? I think that the current limitations now are just having a high enough spatiotemporal resolution to, to make the measurements, certainly in a cell, but if we can make the measurements in a beaker, that's, that's pretty good. But, you know, I think that a beaker is not necessarily representative of, of, of our cells and the chemistry that happens within our cells. And I think that um, just moving forward, we have to be cognizant of that. And could you tell me a little bit more about your work that has enabled the study of reactions in these really small volumes? Yeah, electrochemistry is really quite nice because we can detect a single attoliter droplet, which is 10 to the minus 18 liters. If you think of a sphere, it has a radius of about 100 or so nanometers. And we can detect these one at a time, and we can measure reactivity within those very tiny volumes and also lysosomes. And so I think that, that electrochemistry is super powerful in its sensitivity. I mean, as a measurement science tool, it can measure rates that span 12 orders of magnitude. And so we can really probe interesting chemistry in these tiny volumes using electrochemistry. Yeah, brilliant. And um, why is it important to study the chemistry of, of small volumes? Why are we the size we are? Um, I think it's important because it helps to inform on very important biological processes, but also perhaps how life began. And from a prebiotic standpoint, these tiny volumes have been shown to really drive thermodynamically unfavorable reactions for reasons that lots of folks are still trying to figure out. We have good ideas as to why, and we're trying to, to parse that out. And how has the um, interaction between chemistry, biology, and nanotechnology evolved in, in recent years? It's evolved quite a bit. I, I think that over the past 50 years, nanotechnology has 
exploded. And what I mean by nanotechnology is our ability as as uh, a society to study to see things at the nanoscale and manipulate things at the nanoscale. And so we have lots and lots of new tools that have been developed over the past 50 years. Then because of these new measurement tools, almost every paper that's published has a main claim that is at least partly validated by a measurement. And so being able to create new ways of making measurements puts you on the frontier. And so I think that having nanotechnology over the past 50 years and implementing that into studying processes and single cells or, or organoids or, or spheroids as well, and also just in moving animals and trying to put in little sensors to study pharmacokinetics and individualized medicine, I think that that is where nanotechnology and biology have met. And then chemistry comes into play uh, in terms of really needing to understand the complex reactions that are happening uh, in biological systems. And it, it, trans it goes beyond biology. It's also the environment. It's also uh, planetary studies and aerosols. It it's really has taken science to a new level nanotechnology. And what are nanoelectrochemical tools? So nanoelectrodes are probes that are on the order of tens to hundreds of, of nanometers. Uh, and so we can, we can make those quite easily using laser pulling technology. So if you have a glass capillary and you put in a wire, you can melt the capillary and the wire simultaneously. And then once that is molten, it'll pull apart and you're left with two very sharp electrodes and we have ways of, of polishing those so we can use the disc. Almost always we have a disc surrounded by an insulator. You don't have to have that. It could be a cylinder. Mark Whiteman was putting uh, cylinders into rat brains to study dopamine and fast scan cyclic voltammetry. But I think that nanoelectrochemical tools are, are ways that we can build electrodes to start observing nanoscale phenomena. And so it's not necessarily having a nanoelectrode. You can have a microelectrode and also study uh, nanoparticles one at a time. And what are the main challenges within the development of such tools? I think encouraging students because they're rather difficult experiments. Um, I think that some of the biggest challenges are just coming up with creative sensing modalities to be able to, to make new measurements. And, and that, that's probably not only the biggest challenge, I think it's the biggest opportunity because there are lots of different things that one can do in that space um, just by changing a few things, the nanoparticle you're using, the nanoelectrode you're using, introducing flow or microfluidics, or, there are so many different things to do. What does it mean to you to be this year's recipient of the Pittsburgh, uh, the yeah, Pittsburgh Conference Achievement Award? I'm very, very honored. Um, I have, I've come to PitCon now for several years, uh, first as an undergraduate where I got to meet my electrochemistry heroes like Al Bard and Bill Heinemann and Mark Whiteman and Royce Murray. Um, and just looking, Jonelle showed the list of, of the previous winners, and there are some 
amazing people on that list. And so I'm, I'm incredibly honored. It's close to my heart because I've been coming to PitCon for so long and trying to contribute as much as possible. And so it's, it's a tremendous honor. Yeah, I can imagine it was an incredible full circle moment back to when you first met your hero, like you said. Absolutely, yeah. My first PitCon was at Philadelphia and now here at Philadelphia for the Achievement Awards. Oh, brilliant. And um, what are you currently working on that you're really excited about? So many things. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a pretty multifaceted lab. I have about 19 folks in the lab who are doing quite different things, studying single cell metabolomics, they're studying single cell pharmacokinetics, they're studying reactions in tiny volumes, how to, how to collect and quantify single aerosol droplets, single electrospray particles, we're building sensors for environmental micropollutants, uh, we're trying to study new chemical reactions that happen at interfaces, these interfaces can be incredibly complex, we're trying to study what physical means does nature have to build microcompartments and, and force compartmentalization? Because if chemistry is in tiny volumes is different, then from a, from a prebiotic standpoint, how were such droplets formed? One can think of sea spray quite easily and aerosols in the air, but there are other physical means of, of making these microcompartments. I think we're constantly doing really interesting experiments and the way I work is you know one day I'll be blowing bubbles with my daughter and wondering how thick the bubble wall is and go into my lab the next day and tell my students stop everything we're going to spend two days um, just look doing electrochemistry in bubbles and we put microwires in bubbles and we we did simulations and we did electrodeposition and we used Beer's law and the calculated the path length to get the thickness of the bone that I was able to tell my daughter, but <laughs> as thick as your hair. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's very thin and you can have very interesting reactions. And eventually that led to us using the bubble walls like a butterfly net to capture aerosols. And so we were capturing aerosols and detecting methamphetamine and fentanyl and other drugs, illicit substances is another thing that we do in those aerosols. And so I think that just lots of folks in science, I, I mean, there are two schools of thought, I think, and, and one is that uh, necessity is the mother of invention, but I tend to, you know, work toward invention being the mother of necessity. And so it's a fun, creative environment to make new discoveries, and, and then we start trying to dig into to what we've seen and, and why and how it works that way. Every month we will be sharing an exclusive interview with some of PitCon's four leaders. Remember to leave a review, share the episode and follow the PitCon podcast to hear first hand when new episodes are out.